temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Now, a special report from WCBS News Radio 88. I'm Wayne Cabot. And I'm Therese Crowley, along with WCBS reporter Rich Lamb. An underground explosion believed caused by a bomb rocked the World Trade Center. At 12.18 this afternoon, at least five people have been killed. We're told 300 others injured, primarily by the black smoke. Before the terror attacks at the World Trade Center in 2001, there was a bombing at that site in the year 1993. Do you remember that date? Well, 9-11 is shorthand for perhaps the most devastating event in U.S. history since Pearl Harbor. But in 1993, at the World Trade Center, six people were killed when a 1,500-pound truck bomb was detonated in the underground garage of the complex. More than 1,000 people were injured. That date was February 26, 27 years ago. I'm Tim Sheld with WCBS reporter Peter Haskell, and this week we go in-depth with Ray Kelly. He's a pretty well-known guy, Peter. Ray Kelly did uh, two stints with the NYPD. The second one was with Mike Bloomberg. That's getting a lot of attention now for stop and frisk. But he was the guy on the job in 1993. He was police commissioner and the current mayor at the time? David Dinkins. Was away in Japan. So Ray Kelly, even though he wasn't really in charge, the deputy mayor was, when something like this happens, he's in charge as police commissioner, no? Absolutely. So he was there. He tells us about it in short order and basically oversaw the early stages of that investigation. And things seemed to wind up pretty quickly. And in short order, they had the men they were looking for. What's your recollection of that day or when you first heard um, of something happening at the World Trade Center back in uh, back in 1993? Well, I rec- uh, recollect that day uh, very well. Um, I was in my office, the police commissioner's office, and about 12.20 on February 26th, uh, we received a word that the explosion had taken place at the World Trade Center site. It was initially assessed as some sort of transformer uh, explosion that had happened. So I got in my car and... I went to the World Trade Center site, and I came up from that tunnel that leads around the the lower end of Manhattan, and I saw just a sea of flashing red lights, and I was immediately impressed with how fast the emergency response had taken place. Uh, I was there. It took me no longer than, say, eight minutes to, to get there. 
and yet the uh, the response was tremendous, and smoke was pouring out of the building. People were leaving uh, the building. I at that time. OEM, the Emergency Office of Emergency Management, was in the police department. So uh, I gathered agency heads as best I could, or agency representatives, into the Vista Hotel, which was right next to the, the World Trade Center site. And we started to attempt to coordinate when we were told that the building was about the collapse that we had to get out of there. So we uh, we did most of our work right on the street. Uh, I think it's important to note that uh, Mayor Dinkins was in Japan uh, at the time, and uh, Norman Seisel was the the first deputy mayor. Norman was on the scene, and we were all trying to, of course figure out what happened here. We have this just in. We've got reports coming in now to us here at WCBS, uh, reports of an explosion of some sort at the World Trade Center. We don't know... The ceiling came in, the glass came in, lock is fell, desks blew. We don't, we don't know what happened. Smoke was coming out of the building. A lot of people were affected by it. You could see them coming out with smoke uh, on their faces. Then uh, ultimately came a time where I went down into the hole, into the garage, and looked at this tremendous crater. It went from, I believe, from the B1 to the B5 uh, level. Uh, it was very, very uh, powerful indeed. And water was pouring in. It was an extremely uh, chaotic scene. People who are trapped in the Trade Center have been breaking windows on high floors, sending glass shattering down to the street just trying to get some air. And again, the fire department is just asking them to be calm, get low, and, and uh, either try to come down the stairs or wait. The police department, the uh, fire department, uh, they were searching uh, the buildings, uh, both buildings. We had a helicopter response that actually took people off the building, off the top of the, uh, the building. I remember as the day you know, went forward, this type of work, the rescue work, was ongoing. And I remember that evening sitting in the basement watching more water flow when I was approached by somebody who was an engineer, Port Authority engineer. You know, all the elevators stopped, uh, by the way. So lots of people, hundreds of people were trapped in, in elevators. And that was a big part of the rescue effort. But he told me that this building could never come down, looking at the huge foundation of the building. And he surmised, and it was correct, that the uh, <clears throat> the terrorists tried to knock one building into the other. In 1993, this was. But he said, ah, they can uh, never do that. This was a massive explosion in the bowels of the earth, if you will. All of this, uh, this whole complex is built on bedrock, and the vibrations from that explosion were felt all over Lower Manhattan. But some of the things that I remember is that there's a class of about 17 or 18 young people who were trapped in the in the elevator, and uh, you know, it was just you can see the look of relief on their faces, of, of course, you know, and they all had little stories to tell. Well, we have uh, two classes that are still at the World Trade Center. Uh, one teacher has contacted us, and she has informed us that she's trapped on the 107th floor with her children. Uh, she believes that the other class are trapped on an elevator. Okay, and can you tell us, did uh, the individual who called give us any indication uh, of whether or not the kids are okay? 
Uh, she, yeah, she told me that the children were fine, uh, the adults uh, with her, that the parents were fine, but of course they were all very excited and confused and upset. And can you tell us how old are these children? Five years old. How much was terrorism on your radar screen back in 1993? I would say very little. It was not being discussed. I think it was always out there as a as a notion, <clears throat> but clearly the uh, the first thoughts, the first impressions were something went wrong in the building. That it, it wasn't a bomb, but that that was quickly allayed when you looked at the power of the explosion and you look at what was near there. It was very little located there that could have caused any sort of mechanical uh, explosion the size of, of of what happened there. So, And then the next day, uh, again, as I say, Mayor Dinkins was in Japan, and certainly on his way back as a result of this, uh, but Governor Cuomo came and we had a press conference in uh, the the auditorium of uh, police headquarters, and that would uh, be Mario Cuomo. Uh, that's right, <laughs> that's right. The first Cuomo governor, uh, and we tried to explain you know what happened, and uh, you know I said there that it was not pretty much uh, definitively determined that it had nothing of a utility nature in that area that would have caused that that explosion. So uh, Governor Cuomo had the famous remark, you know, if it. If it looks like a bomb, it smells like a bomb, it's a bomb. And indeed, uh, it was a bomb. And then Sunday, <clears throat> I was there when a uh, detective from the uh, bomb squad, his name was Donald Sadawi, he uh, um, went to Automotive High School. And uh, he was down on the pile, and he saw something, I think it was a differential, you know, part of the axle, that he believed had a VIN number on it, and he believed that might have been the vehicle. In the meantime, there's all sorts of cars that are demolished down there, so somehow he's able to pick out this part of the car, identifying it as, as maybe having uh, evidence, maybe having information. So I was there when they, they took it out, it took it to the police lab on 20th Street at the police academy. And in fairly short order, I think, the next day, they identified it as being from a rider truck. So it was a pretty simple investigative process to determine that it was indeed a rider truck that was rented in, in Jersey City a few days uh, in before, and that the truck had been reported stolen. So uh, one of the terrorists, uh, his name was uh, Mohammed Salameh, had rented the truck. And then he's the one who brought it back in anticipation of him bringing it back as he was telling on a phone, phone call. At the, he was not bring it back, I'm sorry. He was going back for his deposit. The, the truck was stolen, therefore we want to get our deposit back. And I think in they, some strange way, they thought that this was going to give him cover that the, the truck was stolen. So when he showed up, of course, we were there, the Joint Terrorism Task Force was there. He was arrested. And this is within six days. So it's sort of as a result of the rapidity with which the, the case was uh, solved, if you will, if you're going to call that solved, <clears throat> they, they were sort of left off. That's the fact that he came back for the deposit, like the gang that couldn't shoot straight. And I think that resulted in sort of a diminished view as to what the threat really was. Uh, what it was, really a worldwide uh, radical Islamic 
threat in organizations that were being formed aimed at destroying or certainly hurting the the United States but it was never it, it was never fully developed or fully articulated and a lot of that problem by the way goes back to the murder of Maya Kahani in 1991 by an individual by the name of Nocer he was he was captured he was tried for that and he was not convicted of the murder of Maya Kahani but he was convicted on a gun possession in the meantime, in his residence, he had thousands of records that were never examined, or at least never examined in a timely manner by either New York City or federal uh, authorities. And it would have been, that information would have been extremely helpful early on in, in giving uh, insight and giving focus onto the international terrorism threat as it existed in, in those days. And and it all um, had tentacles to 9-11 because of the connection to Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who was, I guess, related to uh, at least one yeah. of one of the one of the people there. Well, Khalid, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed actually provided money for the first World Trade Center attack. He was the uncle of Ramzi Youssef, and uh, yeah, <clears throat> there's just a lot of information that uh, obviously if we had known then, uh, and, and a lot of it perhaps coming from Nose's information, that it would have enabled us to better protect uh, uh, the city. Uh, but 9-11 happened, I think, because in large measure, the attack in 1993 was not the huge wake-up call that it should have been. That, that should have been a clarion call for the country, federal authorities, uh, local police agencies to all come together and realize that there's this looming terrorist threat out there. Peter, one of the reasons why we always want to remember 1993, because most people say it was this precursor to 2001. Yeah, it was one of those things where there were lessons that probably should have been learned that weren't, and it's interesting. When the 9-11 Commission did its report, it found one of the key failings was a failure of imagination. And you looked at what happened in 93, and perhaps the federal government should have been more on the ball in thinking about, hey, what's the potential out there? What, what might come next? What did happen at the NYPD? What did happen with the Joint Terrorism Task Force were there different things that changed? Well, I'm not certain too much changed. And uh, certainly, in retrospect, not enough uh, changed. And again, as I say, the fact that this case was solved in, in, in such a simple fashion that I think the, either directly or implicitly the threat of terrorism was sort of discounted uh, somewhat. Uh, we were... Are beholding to the FBI, uh, the Joint Terrorism Task Force. We had a few police officers there, but interesting to note, and it's still like this to this day. It they the organization is not marbleized. By that I mean you don't have cops integrated with FBI agents. You have FBI agents doing uh, their work, and you have NYPD and other agencies. A total of like forty six agencies, I think, at last count. Uh, in the Joint Terrorism uh, Task Force. So that that remains. Uh, 9-11 was the big game changer here, uh, of course. Uh, 
the you know, Joint Terrorism Task Force was greatly uh, expanded. The New York City Police Department, I believe, on uh, 1993, best of my recollection, had like 12 investigators in the Joint Terrorism Task Force. When I became police commissioner the second time, we made it over 100 NY investigators, and we did a whole series of things to uh, to better enable us to protect the city. Um, including uh, having more uh, intelligence overseas, having NYPD embedded in, in cities uh, where some of this stuff was burgeoning. Yeah, well, I, I did that because in between my two uh, runs as police commissioner, I went to the federal government. I was under Secretary of Treasury, and then I was the U.S. Customs Commissioner. And we had uh, what was called uh, legats, legal attaches, and FBI certainly had them as well overseas. Uh, we The Customs had very few, uh, but they were extremely helpful in letting us know what was going on in other countries. The FBI had one in virtually every uh, embassy. Uh, so I liked the idea. I thought it would be helpful for us to uh, work with other police agencies, perhaps get information as to what was coming our way, perhaps learn best practices. We didn't have all the answers by any means. And we had tremendous diversity in the department as it still has today. So we're able to put cops in other cities who perhaps were even born there. You know, we have uh, a police officers assigned, New York City police officers assigned uh, uh, to the uh, police in France, in Paris, who were born in Paris. We put a police officer in Montreal who was born in in Montreal. as U.S. citizens that, you know, that came to this country. So the diversity of the department enabled us to, uh, to go to other countries, to form um, close relationships, and get information that I believe helped uh, better protect us. We had... Uh, and Morty Zidansky was a detective that we we put in, um, in Tel Aviv, and uh, he had been a graduate of Hebrew uh, University. That's, that's the size and scope of the department. We now have uh, police officers born in 106 countries, so uh, no other police department can come close to it. So we wanted to use that capability, that flexibility, to get information that can help protect us, and secondly, uh, give us uh, information as to what other countries were doing to uh, protect themselves. You mentioned 9-11 was a game changer. So the city does its investigation. There's a 9-11 commission that comes up with suggestions to better protect the country. When you look at those things now, what's your sense? Did they did they get 100%? Did they fall short in some ways with things that were done Enough? Not enough? What's your sense now? I think you always have to be building, always have to be looking forward. Uh, you know, there's never enough, you might say. But I think a lot of the basic recommendations of the 9-11 Commission were, were bored into. Uh, communication system, uh, we knew that we needed a, a different system. Uh, the The... Uh, UHF VHF difference was uh, significant. The, uh, the repeater system in the World Trade Center for some reason didn't work. Uh, you know those things have been uh, addressed, and you know unfortunately the when the uh, attack took place, there was a 
OEM Coordination Center, but it was on the 23rd floor of Seven World Trade Center. That proved to be a mistake. Uh, but even a greater mistake was that that bunker, if you will, was set up to bring agencies together. So when that could not be used, the agencies went down on the street. And what did they do? They went their separate ways. They never joined up. They never, <laughs> the whole purpose of the, uh, you know, the bunker was coordination. There was no coordination, very little coordination between the police and the fire department on, you know, on the ground. Um, and there was a whole, whole series of uh, other issues. But, you know, something that has to be pointed out is that the FBI and the CIA uh, did not properly coordinate. If you recall, there was a meeting with some of the terrorists in Malaysia, in Kuala Lumpur, uh, the CIA was monitoring that that meeting, and when those individuals came back and went into the United States, they never told the FBI. So that was, you know, a huge uh, error. Uh, that's where the ball was was dropped, and uh, we paid a price, a uh, big price. Do you get a sense that that today? you know, past 9-11 and 27 years past 93, that there is that commitment among these agencies to have this better communication because of the mistakes of the past? Yeah, I do. I think there is, uh, but first of all, nobody wants to be caught holding the ball these days. But uh, yeah, I think there's much better uh, coordination. There's less, less uh, te- turf fighting, uh, that, that sort of thing, that uh, uh, perhaps was, uh, you know, more uh, prevalent in the past. It's been almost 20 years since 9-11, and we've seen a handful of terror-type attacks in our city since. There was a car packed with explosives in Times Square in 2010. Nobody was hurt there. In 2016, a pressure cooker exploded in Chelsea. There were more than 30 injuries. And then more fatalities in 2017. A man drove his truck down the Hudson River bike path. He struck bodies along the way. Eight were killed and 11 injured. So we have Ray Kelly, and we had him in the studio, and we wanted to say, what keeps you up at night? It seems to me like we've got more people than ever that, that, that hate the American way of life, the United States, and New York has always been this big target. Um, how do we view the threats against us here in this city? Well, I think you, uh, you, your assumption is absolutely correct. New York is the target. It's the number one target, and that's the way it has to be placed. And I think that's what's being done now. New York has devoted more resources than any other city probably in the world to protect itself from a, a terrorist attack or some other uh, major event. I think we have uh, the best police department, the best fire department, the uh, best emergency services anywhere. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that every day <laughs> something major is happening in, in New York City. They get a lot of practice. So, uh, yeah, I, I think we're as well positioned as we can be. Are there things that we could do better? Probably. I'm out of the I'm out of the business now. I can't tell you exactly what, the, what they are, but there's always need to improve. There's always need to practice. That's something that, uh, you know, like Tabletop exercises, even companies. We I recommend that now. Uh, synagogues, uh, uh, places of worship that that clearly are uh, at risk these days more so than they have been in the past. 
you know, have a tabletop exercise. If this happens, what should we do? You know, we did that a lot in the police department. We would read scenarios, have all our chiefs in the room. Uh, you know, it was always, there was never an exactly right answer. You keep challenging them, that that sort of thing. So training, training, training is uh, is key. When, when you look at the threats out there now, what is your sense? If you look at uh, foreign terrorism, be it Islamic or otherwise, domestic terrorism, white nationalism, what what's the greatest threat out there? Well, I don't know if you can uh, categorize it. You know, the greatest threat is the one that actually <laughs> comes to fruition. I can't tell you what that uh, what that is. Now we know that drones are something that uh, the terrorists of today are focusing on, are using in in other countries, and uh, drones are difficult to defend against. So we've got to build a strategy, a capacity to defeat a, a drone attack. Uh, you know, what if we had a thousand drones come from, you know, the, you can, you can game, game these types of things, uh, forever, but we always have, the, you know, the biggest threat of course is a nuclear, uh, device that, uh, could somehow be smuggled into, uh, to our city. Uh, you know, you've got to check cargo, uh, coming in, you've got to check, uh, trucks a lot of that is is being done but you know it, it, none of it is, is perfect how do you defend against drones well it, i mean there are, there's certain things that you can do that i'm not going to talk about but uh, there are things that can be done you know, drones are obviously powered um in, in a certain way to keep them up in the air they're getting radio signals from something on the ground perhaps there are drones that you can set up that are sort of, as a result of AI, uh, can go their own their own route and seek their own target. So they're they're uh, you know it's challenging. It's the world I mean, we all know now the burgeoning technology that we're all exposed to. Just take that and and translate it to nefarious purposes, and you uh, you've got some real concerns. The last thing I guess I would ask you is. Is there something that that Tim mentioned this year? Is there something that keeps you up at night that where you wonder to yourself, you know, this this is a threat. Maybe we're not completely prepared for this. Well, I think you can say that about uh, all threats. I don't know any threat that we're completely prepared for. I mean, that's just the world in which we live. Uh, it's an uncertain world, uh, and I, I can't think of anything that's, oh, wow, you know, we haven't done this to protect us from from that. I think we've done more reasonable things to protect uh, the city, but it's still very much a possibility of, of an attack uh, t- taking place, um, a pandemic happening. You know, we, we have to be thankful for, for each day. I think the law enforcement community is doing a very good job of protecting New York, but there are simply no guarantees. Excellent. Ray Kelly, uh, great to see you. Thank you so much for your time and your your memories of of 93, and uh, uh, thanks for coming up here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I was always a big fan of Ray Kelly. He's a real straight-up guy. He will always give you his honest assessment. Uh, He always dealt in the facts. 
good to see him. Real honest assessment about what we have to worry about these days. Rick Kelly's a guy who's a, re- a retired Marine, served during the Vietnam War, and just has this manner about him that you could look at him and say, yeah, he looks like he's a Marine, straight shooter, has a lot of credibility internationally, and is someone who certainly knows the business. So, Peter, this week we mark the anniversary of the 93 bombing, and we always talk about this off mic, and that is uh, the six who were killed, including one of them was a pregnant woman, uh, are always uh, remembered on uh, this week every year. You know, it's interesting. At one point, it seemed like the six were getting short shrift because 9-11 overwhelmed February 26th. But speaking to some of the family members, they see it as the reverse now. There are six names at the 9-11 memorial on the north side of the North Tower uh, where they have the waterfall there. And now they get more attention because it's not forgotten. It is remembered perhaps more now because of 9-11. So um, to put a bow on this one, uh, in a in a sort of um, dramatic way, I remember covering the 93 bombing. I remember being out there on the street, and I remember uh, talking to a, to a woman who came out of the building and then a, a guy next to her, and he said it sounded like or felt like a plane hit the tower. And I'm thinking, wow, plane hit the tower. That would, you know, what would that feel like? And it, it just sort of, you know, I never thought of it again. We used it in our news coverage back then in 93. But every time, every anniversary, I'll go back and, and listen to that uh, piece of tape. And Ray Kelly talks about the fact he's in the basement of the World Trade Center in 1993 looking at this massive crater. And, en- and an engineer for the Port Authority says, this building will never come down. And you put those things together, and it's a little bit frightening. Charlie Makish, right? Wasn't that who said that? Charlie Makish, who we spoke to a few years ago about this. And Charlie was a a witness at the trials um, in in the cases where uh, Larry Silverstein, who owns the property, was trying to get uh, multiple um, insurance money. from. He claimed it was two attacks, not one. Right. And so Charlie Makish was a a witness there. We, We remember these these names and these people, it's its amazing. So good good job remembering uh, 1993 and a really, you know, it was the day, in a, in a way, we lost our innocence. It really seems that way now. When you look back in retrospect, that was really the turning point when our eyes were opened. Well, you've been listening to 880 In-Depth. Our thanks again to our buddy Bill Tynan, who handles our technical operations. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate it. Uh, Just as a reminder, we do this uh, every week, 880 In-Depth, with some talented member of the 880 reporting staff uh, trying to dig deep on a a topic of importance to our community. Uh, Please uh, subscribe, uh, tell your friends about it, and we'll see you next week. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.